John chapter 21. I'm going to start reading in verse number 15. It says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying of what death he should glorify God. When he had spoken this, he saith unto him, here comes the command now, follow me. Command is given. Here's Peter's first reaction. Then Peter turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? That is John, the author who's pinning these words down. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? (laughs) Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And then and he finishes it up here. I, I do want to read verse 25. He says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did. Think about this. I'm not going to preach on this. It's an amazing verse. He said, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do love you. And Lord, I pray even tonight you would teach us how we are to love you and what that should produce in our life. Lord, I pray that your spirit would illuminate what we're seeing here in our hearts and lives to make it practical in how we are to love you. And Lord, what that means and what that entails. So I pray, I pray that you would direct in this, control what I say and how I say it. I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your help, your grace. Lord, please work. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, I certainly do pray that even this evening they repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Of course, here's the last chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John, we went through Matthew. Eventually, I will go through John. We'll take six years and go through John too one day. And uh, we, we'll, well, one time I do plan to go through John. It will be, be a little while. There's several other books that I do want to get to. And uh, uh, Matthew went through it, was basically demonstrating, as I start off the very first message and tried to maintain that theme throughout to try and draw it out in different messages, that Jesus was, in fact, the king. He was the king of the Jews. He was, he was, he was the Messiah. 
And that was a, a focus of that book. Almost everything it was pointing to was directing towards that. While John's emphasis is the fact that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. It was demonstrating that throughout. The Gospel of John is not part of what we call the Synoptic Gospels. That is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What I mean by that is pretty simple. Matthew, Mark, and Luke basically cover very similar aspects of Christ's life. Similar accounts and sermons and miracles. They follow the same, the same line. Whereas John does not. John is more unique. John covers different miracles, different events that and, and we put this together, and we can see when we have the four Gospels, it's amazing. From Matthew, again, demonstrating that how Jesus is the King of Kings, um, and who He is, especially, you can see, if you're of the nation of Israel, seeing that Gospel, demonstrating who He is, to Mark, the author of, of the shortest of the epistles, just getting really straight to the point, especially to the last week of Christ in that Gospel, and, and covering it. Uh, many times, like I said, it's almost written to the Romans. He's getting to the point, to Luke, showing Christ, His humanity, the Son of Man, demonstrating that, and, and we, many times, like I said, that's more written to the Greeks with his style, and then John to the world, demonstrating that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And this, as we come into this chapter, Christ is already resurrected from the dead. All that is taking place. Peter has, has just, uh, obviously, weeks prior to this event, had, has had that denial of Christ that took place. Something that he never truly believed himself would happen. But it did. This is, again, after the resurrection, Jesus has appeared unto him. And Jesus starts off this conversation closing out the Gospel of John by asking Peter three times, Lovest thou me? I believe this question the Lord asks of all of us. I believe, truly, I believe that we, we don't hear his voice. We don't have his physical presence right here to ask that question of you. But I do believe this, that he'll put your life, different circumstances in your life where that's exactly what he's asking you. Do you love me? Um, so we'll put those situations in our life asking that question. So that is the question tonight. Do you love the Lord? Most with their mouth would, of course, say yes. Again, don't forget, Peter, just weeks prior, proclaimed his love for the Lord by stating, Lord, I am willing to go to prison for you. I am willing to die for you. The Lord was getting ready to teach him a really, really important lesson. The Lord knew Peter wasn't being a hypocrite. The Lord knew Peter believed that. He did. But the Lord also knew Peter did not nearly have the strength that he thought he had. And the Lord told him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before this night's over. And of course, it certainly did take place. And you can see a measure of attention that the Lord is focusing in on. When he was a leader. He was. He was a leader. He knew. I mean, I, mean, I often think of that moment. Often. When after the third time when Peter denied Christ, and it happened so quick. Now, could you imagine the first time? He never thought those words would come out of his mouth. He's that the woman starts running her mouth. That's one of them. That's one of them. And all of a sudden, just completely out of a reaction, I don't know him. Could you imagine the conviction setting in in his life? Then it happens two more times. And after that third time, when that cock crew, he heard that and their eyes locked. Could you imagine that look? That was not a look of disappointment from the Lord. Keep that in mind. He just denied the Lord three times. That was not a look of disappointment and disapproval. 
The Lord knew it was coming in his heart. The Lord knew what is, what's going on in his mind at that very... He knows every single thought that man's having right now. The utter disappointment and disgust with his own life at that moment. That's reminding Peter at that I pray for thee, that thy faith fail not. It wasn't the law coming down on him. It wasn't Peter, I can't believe what you did to me. And here even more, we see more of the grace of the Lord in the life of Peter. As he comes to him with this question three times. Peter, lovest thou me? I, I believe Peter had to, just being human, thinking where I would be. And I, I know Peter's words here. I'm going to cover it as we go through this text and I get into the message. But from, that, from the time that Peter denied Christ and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. I mean, I would think in his heart of mind, being a man just like I am, he'd have to wonder, do I actually love the Lord? What just happened? How did this just take place? So Peter, I, I believe, even within himself at time, must have some doubts and some struggling about that very issue. Why, if I loved the Lord, did I deny Him? So here, the Lord, having this conversation with Peter, is preparing him still for what is to come. Well, you do know after the resurrection, Peter is a different man. I have a whole sermon on that. Peter is a different man after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has changed. But he's using this conversation, these words here, as he starts off by questioning him three times about his love for him, to begin to demonstrate to Peter what it's going to take to follow him. The importance of love that is in that. The importance that love is going to take place if Peter is going to effectively follow Christ. Not only the importance of love is going to be needed, but we're also going to see the importance of it being, the Lord's getting ready to give him some information about what's coming in his life that had to be tough. Basically, he's telling Peter with it, as we're going to see, you're also going to have to love me unconditionally. Not only that, based on Peter's response, the Lord used it as another lesson. He said, Peter, if you're going to follow me effectively, not only is your love going to be important, it's going to have to be unconditional. It's going to have to be steadfast. Focus on me, not on others. So let's go through this a little bit. So, 15 through 17, the Lord asks these questions. They had dined. Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Joe, lovest thou me? More than these, he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again. The second time, Simon, son of Joseph, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. Because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. By the way, let's just camp right there. Did Peter believe Jesus was God based on that statement? He certainly did. It is just shocking the amount of groups that deny the deity of Jesus Christ when it's clear in Scripture he is God. Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. I believe that's a statement Jesus was driving for. Jesus saith unto feed my sheep. 
Let me focus there for a second. He's letting Peter know that if you are going to follow me, the importance that love plays. In each of these things, he did something. He, he gave a measure of obedience after the, the decision of love. Love is thou me? Yes, feed my lambs. Love is thou me? Yes, feed my sheep. Peter, love is thou me? Feed my sheep. So the assignment came after the confession and admission of love. That, that's a true pattern in our life. What comes first as we follow the Lord is our love. That has to be the priority. So the question, again, I start off in the introduction, is do you truly love God? As it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, we are to love the Lord with all that is in us, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. John chapter 14 and verse 15, as well as other places there, in that, that last discourse Jesus had with his disciples in the upper room, that genuine love for Christ leads to obedience. The Lord knows that, alright? If you genuinely love me, it's going to follow this. I will give you an assignment. I will put you in a place, Peter, where you can follow me. But you've got to love me. This is where it has to come from. This has to be the motivation. This has to be the source. If I am the one that's going to give you an assignment, you love me first. Our love should be why we're obedient. Did not Paul have this down? What did he say in 2 Corinthians 5.14? For the love of Christ constraineth us. It was his motivation. Do you understand? When it comes to our service, our service to God, there are many things that can motivate you to be obedient. To want to serve. Did you know your pride can motivate you to want to be obedient and serve? Do you know the devil is very well aware of that? He would love for you to serve God based on your pride. He's good with that. He is. Loves it. Loves it. Let's not make your service to God about God. Let's make it about you. Satan's good with that. It was his problem. That was his downfall as well. He wanted it to be about him. Pride can serve as a motivation. Oh, I want to serve. I want to serve. But it comes from a source of pride. The Lord's telling Peter, listen, I will give you an assignment when it's based on your love for me. Selfishness can lead to your service. Let's deal with another one. An important emotion we have, sometimes we like to pretend we shouldn't have this today in the day we live in, but shame can. I don't believe shame. Shame has an important role. It helps keep us right and helps us to live right. We live in a culture that's teaching us to try and do away with the emotion of shame. But there are actions you take in life that you should feel shameful for. But I don't believe shame should be a motivation for obedience. I believe love for God should. Our service should flow from our love. In pastoral theology on Saturday's class, um, I broke down 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as if it's a pastor in his congregation form of what, should, what it should look like being a pastor, how love is kind, it's patient, it endureth all things. And, 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 and Paul's example of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it, it's... it's, it's one thing that's abundantly clear. 
is our service should flow from love. Paul said, you know, I could have faith to remove mountains. I could, I, I could preach like the angels. But if it's not from a source of love for God, I'm a sounding brass or a... Tink, or a thank you. And we talked about in the class yesterday how that's just like one of those, in those Middle Eastern markets, they would have certain areas where they were selling goods, what Paul is referring to, using an idiom of the day. And they would have, they would have symbols playing, they would make a little circus atmosphere of what was on sale. It, what, what Paul was saying, it, it shows a measure of insincerity, it shows a measure of commercialism, that it's not out of love. Again, it's more something about you. And Paul made it clear, if service is not from love, it's useless. <clears throat> so love should, that helps us with our obedience leads to a right motivation. It also leads to a cleaving. For time's sake, I'm not going to turn there. Time has really went wise here. Wow. Joshua 22.5, though, it deals with our love leading to a cleaving unto the Lord. Now, follow me. This just makes sense. If there's a cleaving, then there's a separation from something else taking place. Think of marriage. You know, it was to leave and cleave. There's a separation taking place if cleaving is happening to something else. That cleaving is unto the Lord. So in other words, that's what your life becomes about. You know what that means? That there's a measure of separation that should be taking place in your life. I have to go through these quickly. Matthew 10, 37, 38. Our love should exceed our love for everyone else. You know, one thing, I mean, I used to pray for that a lot was, Lord, increase my love for you. I'd ask him, please do that. Make no mistake, I think we all recognize that whatever it is that, you, that has more of your love than the Lord does, that's the hindrance of your faith. That's what it is. So you ask yourself, do I love the Lord? 1 John 3.18 talks about how our love for him should be in deed and in truth. So what is that talking about? Well, not an empty love of lip, lip service. That one that involves actions. That's based in truth. Don't have actions apart from truth. That's what we want today. We want actions apart from truth. Our love should be in deed, in other words, doing something, producing something, and in truth. As we see in our text, it is that love for God that leads to the Lord giving us an assignment. Peter received the assignment each time after he professed his love for the Lord. Peter's assignment was going to be that, even that of a pastor. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. The Lord always knew. He understood this when you go all the way back to the back to the first five books of the Bible. You will never serve God properly without the love in place first. Secondly, in order to follow the Lord effectively, not only does the love need to be in place, we learn from this text, but we also learn it needs to be unconditional. Look at verse 18. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. 
He's letting people know, as he says, letting Peter know, as he says in the next verse, this, Peter, you're going to be a martyr. This is what's going to happen to you, Peter. If you follow me, it's going to lead to your death. And we do know that by, by tradition, basically, we don't have any direct written evidence. We have it in writings, but it's hard to make it direct evidence. But by tradition, we know that Peter was crucified upside down. That's how he ended up dying for the Lord. Peter, if you follow me, it's going to cost you your life. We are to follow the Lord unconditionally. I mean, you think of Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, where the Lord was dealing with us following him. About the importance of us denying ourselves and taking up our cross. That's the reality of the Christian life. Many times you understand, this is, these are the very things that are absent today from so many places. It's just a matter of, listen, we want you to come and come as you are and leave as you are. It's not a matter of denying self or taking up a cross. It's take up your guitar and come up and play. But as we see in Galatians 2.20, the importance of us crucifying our flesh. Putting our value on God and not on things on the earth. As Paul talked about, I alluded to it this morning in Philippians chapter 3. And I can't quote, I'm going to read just a couple of verses there real, real quick where I'm thinking of it. Yeah, verse 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. He's not complaining about the loss of those things he left behind at all. He said, I have the excellency of the knowledge of the Creator. Those other things, it was, it, it, he's saying how much the Lord helped him. He said, listen, I had value in something that didn't matter. I was living for things that in the end didn't matter. Now, I have the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. It's what matters. So if we're going to follow unconditionally, you've got to see the value in it, don't you? And if, and if we don't, until we get to that point, you simply just put conditions on your service. Lord, I'll serve you to this point. And you can see it, it manifests itself in different ways. Some people say, Lord, I will serve you. You got once a month, I'll come to a church service. Lord, you got me Sunday mornings. Lord, you got me Sunday mornings, Wednesday night, but that's it. Lord, I, I'll give you this portion. But when you begin to see the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, that it's about Him, then it finally becomes, Lord, whatever. Because I love you. You know what comes then? The assignment. The assignment. We are to follow unconditionally. And then lastly, steadfastly. Boy, this one gets us. Look at 18, look at, or excuse me, 20 through 23. 19, the Lord told him to follow me. Here's Peter's response. Peter is such Peter. Then Peter, turning about, that was his problem. Ugh, if he didn't do that. Then Peter, turning about, see at the disciple, and you have to love. One of my favorite things I preached through John in, in, in New Guinea is, is how John always describes himself. <laughs> 
the one who the, the one who loves Christ. I was the apostle who loved Christ, so everybody knows. You know they, they, they get all over him in heaven about that. You can see this Thomas. Really? Did you he really let you put it in there like that? Come on. Then Peter turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, uh, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter seeth him, saith to Jesus, Lord, you just told me I'm going to die. What's this man going to do? I love Christ's response. Jesus saith unto him, If I will that I tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And he goes right back to the command. Follow thou me. The importance of steadfastness or staying focused on Christ and not others. Not getting your eyes off, just allowing your life to be focused on the God that you're following, the God that you're serving, and not turning about. You just open your mind to a series of gains because you're turned about no longer focused on Christ. The devil uses this trick often to prevent us from effectively following Christ. That's what's happening to Peter. We begin to compare ourselves among ourselves and see what others are doing. This leads to several many different types of problems. Let me show you how this can be used. It can lead to complacency. Some will use this turning about and see what others are doing. And they think, I'm doing pretty good. They can get complacent. They think they've arrived. Others can allow it to turn to bitterness. Why am I having to serve here? I should be here. Why doesn't he help me? Why don't I get to do that? And it leads to a bitterness creeping in on your heart. Beginning to take root. Stay focused on Christ. Not on what others are doing. Stay focused on him. Or it can link to another tool of the devil and shame. I've already dealt with that a little bit. It can. It can also lead to shame in this regard. You have what the Lord has given you to do. You're staying faithful to it. And the devil comes. You stay focused on Christ, not on others. You see others doing more. You see others doing more. And sometimes it's not the, it's not the pride that motivates to the bitterness. It's shame that comes in. I'm not really doing anything. I don't matter nearly as much. That's not true. Not at all. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he judges you for your works, you'll be judged on what was expected of you. He's not, he's not going to judge us amongst, with each other. That's not how that's going to happen. It's going to be what's expected of you. You know, I, I, I preached a sermon here before comparing that with John the Baptist, who Christ said when we went through, when we went through the Gospel of Matthew, there's not been a greater born of women. Yet John did no miracle ever. Why? Because he did what was expected of him. That's what the Lord will judge you by. Or pride can come in when you're looking at others. Wow, look at how the Lord's using me. I could knock Greg down with that like twice a week. No, not at all. But that comes in. Pride can come in when you put your eyes on others. Worthlessness. I'm not accomplishing anything, a person begins to think. 
Again, all these different attitudes will prevent you from serving God as you should. Don't turn about. Focus on Christ. Follow Him. So that's how you avoid this trick. Stay focused on Christ. As He told Peter, follow thou me. Just stay focused on me, Peter. What is that to thee? If I will that this man tarry till he come, that has nothing to do with you. Just do what I told you to do. It's, it's kind of like that, the, the parable Christ gave of, of, of all the workers in the field. Some work in the heat of the day, and, and they're all there. And, and he starts with the last group that just worked about an hour or two. And they get the penny. And then each group was getting a penny. If you get to the last group, it did work all day, and they get a penny. But that's what they agreed to. He did them no wrong. But because the Lord was, a, was, was an encouragement and a help to those who happened to work less part, the others looked evil upon him instead of being glad. Wow, look how good he was to those other men. Stay focused on what the Lord has given you to do. Because one day we will all personally give an account before God, Romans 14, 12. Do you understand that what Christ gives you to do is perfect for you? He knows who you are and where you are. It's perfect for you. <clears throat> and you may not see the eternal value now, but you will. You will. Brother Pat, you drive a bus. One day you'll see the eternal value of that. As the Lord reminds you of children that have come to know the Lord through that ministry. So in conclusion, I would say that many of us, of course, want to truly follow the Lord. So in order to be able to do that effectively, we have to love Him first. We do. We've got to get to that place of surrender that's motivated by love. And then not put conditions on it. Lord, I realize what you want from me is best. Whatever you want. And then make sure, once you get to that level of commitment, you know what comes in? Distractions. Turning about. Turning about. Battle's not over with you. Stay focused on the 